Good morning, everyone. I've done this a day late, so apologies if anyone was looking for it yesterday. Going, <laughs> where's where's Troy? Has there been an unfortunate shark or jet ski incident? No, I just got busy. I did actually get into the water and uh, managed to avoid any shark incidents, but I had a, a nice little boat ride yesterday with some friends, which I'm going to repeat today. Actually, it is that time of year here. What are we at at the moment? 16 degrees Celsius. Not too bad. We got up to 29 the other day, and it's just like the very, very start of spring. So it's very nice getting out. Now, of course, one of the things we see when we start to get out here this time of year is uh, these guys as well. Now, this is a, for those listening to this, wondering what it sounds weird, why it sounds weird, 3D printed snakes. Not the 3D ones we see outside this time of year. We uh, we do tend to start seeing more of the, the actual... <laughs> Jeez, I should have muted that. More of the actual reptilian versions. Uh, I put this 3D printed snake here. For those of you watching this, this is uh, a, what was a rainbow filament? Like rainbow filament where the filament changes color as you go. So for something reasonably large like this, and the reason I've got this here is the kids absolutely freaking love these 3D printed snakes with rainbow filament. They sort of change color as they go. So if, if you listen to this, you're not looking at it. It's like it's green on the bottom and then it goes yellow and then it goes orange towards the top. And they look super, super, super cool. So, of course, they now have orders <laughs> from school friends to print more snakes. But um, they're really cool. And if anyone out there is into 3D printing, you want the STL for this. It is on Thingiverse. Just look up snake. You'll find an articulated one. I did this at about 158% of original size. I just basically maxed out the size on the print bed. And it looks, uh, it looks really, really neat. So, trivial little thing, but the kids enjoy it. It's fun. Alrighty, on to first order of business sponsor this week is 1Password. Uh, again, many, many people know about 1Password. We still have our Hello CISO series going. Uh, we've still only got episode one out yet. There are many, many episodes yet to come. I have actually recorded them all now. They all get edited up and then they get some... Jeez, why didn't I mute that? They get edited up and they get some nice colors and things on top of them as well uh, in, in terms of like the slides and the design. And then there's a bunch of my face and my voice. But talking about stuff which I think is really super useful, they'll be on YouTube for free for everyone to go and watch. Free, free, without like free, but give me all your personal data and then you get it. That's a nice proper free. Good people, one password. So big thanks to them for being on the sponsor list there again today. Thank you for everyone uh, joining in as well and, and joining in the comments. Burton, I don't know how you get in so <laughs> so quickly every time, mate. You're always first in. Uh, so <laughs> thank you for watching. few other things. Look, I, I don't have like major stuff this week. I didn't write anything, but there are a couple of things, particularly towards the end of my to-do list here, which, which I think are kind of interesting. Next week is going to be five years worth of doing this weekly update. I'm going to do it. Friday evening my time, which will be Friday morning for the folks in Europe, which will be just a terrible hour Thursday night for the folks in the US. But I'm going to do it then. I'm going to do it with Scott Helm as well. So he's going to join in. I've got a list of just just fun, interesting stuff, mostly InfoSec related stuff uh, that's going onto the list there. So we're going to do it together. Every time we do it together, people seem to really enjoy that. For some reason, they like Scott. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> we'll do that together. If there's stuff you want to hear Scott and I talk about, either send it to me via Twitter or DM or whatever you want first, uh, or join in and ask questions. But uh, there's some really fun stuff that he's been involved in lately as well, which I, I think will make for interesting viewing. So that'll be next week. 
Other things this week, I got a blue Facebook tick yesterday, which seems seems simultaneously really, really late and probably really insignificant. I got verified on Twitter many, many years ago. Uh, and it, this was sort of after multiple impersonation attempts and things like this. So I guess social media platforms are a place where impersonation in particular does happen a lot. For some reason, people like doing that to me. There's still other fake accounts for me in places I don't think I'll ever be able to have them removed. I don't know how I got the tick other than I opened my Facebook. Yes, I was literally sitting on an island at a cafe and then I opened my Facebook because what else are you going to do at an island cafe? I opened my Facebook and I was like, hey, would you like the blue tick? Just scan your driver's license and send it. It's like, is this really Facebook? Anyway, it turned out to be real. So I have a blue tick now. So yeah, that's... I guess that's awesome. Now, Burton actually asked uh, directly via DM. He said, um, does this automatically blue tick on Instagram as well? Uh, No, (laughs) it does not. I don't know why. Um, I don't know. I just noticed Burton's comment here. YouTube verification check mark next. Uh, Yeah, I, I don't know what you have to do to get it in YouTube either. I'm just not quite sure how any of this work I don't think it's an exact science either. and there was actually a period there where I think they sort of started not doing that on Twitter for quite a while but anyway it's there now um, Big Pod says I can't wait to watch the replay of that I bet it will be too early for me since I wake up middle of the day Europe time yeah yeah it, it will be so I think 6pm here is about 9am in the UK about 10am in Norway Netherlands France etc um Someone's always going to be asleep. If it makes you feel any better, usually when there are, there are meetings around the world that Australians join, Australians always get the short end of the stick <laughs> because we're always like that, just that one little part of the world, unless we're doing stuff with Asia and they're pretty much in the same time zone. But anyway, it is what it is. Other things this week. Apple had their, their thing, their annual thing where they launch their new things. And I... I have this, I guess, weird, maybe not weird, but this augmentation of Apple things and Microsoft things. So all of my PC stuff is Windows top to bottom. We recently upgraded Charlotte from, I think it's an upgrade, <laughs> from Mac OS to Windows. So any sort of desktop laptop stuff is all Windows. Uh, Windows PC here, Windows laptop there. All of our mobile devices, uh, watches, tablets, things like that, uh, are Apple. Uh, the same with the kids, just basically because we hand down our old shit to them. So we're in this in this dichotomy, and we do tend to upgrade the things where there's something else that's good about the new version. Now, one of the things that is nice about most of the tech stuff, at least in Australia, is it's it's pre-tax dollars, so it's literally a business deduction. I'm justifying it to myself here, <laughs> so we can go and get stuff like iPad or iPhone, new versions of that. Uh, again, when there's a good reason, for me, the new iPad Pro that launched earlier this year, it's like, would I upgrade? What do you get? The camera's better. Who the hell uses their iPad to take cameras or take photos? Uh, it goes from 4G to 5G. doesn't really matter because most of the time I'm using that on Wi-Fi here anyway. So I held off on that. Uh, the watches that launched this week, I've got a Series 6 at the moment, which I got last year. Uh, 
I can't justify upgrading the watch. It's like, what happens? The screen is a little bit larger and it kind of wraps around the edges. I think they're saying you can fit 20% more content or something like that on there. But that doesn't really change a lot for me. The the suggested massive changes in terms of the design obviously didn't happen. A lot of people speculating they're going to come out with a design with more square edges and so on. That didn't happen. So I don't think there's really much watch-wise to bother with. The phones I just ordered before I started this, and we ordered um, iPhone 13 Pro Maxes, and I thought I'd talk through my my thinking on this. So I have at present an iPhone 12 Pro, not a Max, the normal size, and there are several reasons why I wanted to update this, upgrade it, and the first one is best illustrated visually as I very very carefully remove the cover and you'll see why I'm very carefully removing the color in just a moment because the back of the phone is completely smashed now I only recently oh, gee, this is actually really bad I'm actually seeing circuitry in the corner there oh that's not oh jeez and then bits of glass are falling out of the cover I probably shouldn't have done that I always order a cover with the phone and I, I know that some people don't like the cover because it takes away the beautiful design of the Apple device but we do drop these things <laughs> and evidently I have dropped it but I dropped it in the cover I got the official Apple leather cover obviously dropped it at some point smashed the screen I only realized because I looked at the back of it one time and I was like I can see cracks between the cameras and then I popped the back of the, the cover off and it's like oh yeah that's not good so I don't quite know how that happened, but you know now I've got to go and get that fixed. I can get that fixed. I can send it back to Apple. If you do that with Apple, then they want your pin to unlock the device, which I'm obviously not going to do. I could go to a third-party repairer, which I kind of trust. Regardless, I kind of thought, look, it's, it's surviving. I'll get the new one, and then I'll get this fixed and then figure out what to do with it. Reason one. Reason two is that I'm finding one of the best uses for the phone, I'm sure this is the same with many, many people, is taking photos. And I'm using this really, really extensively for photos, Uh, particularly as we've been traveling quite a bit around Australia and just seeing really, really epic stuff. Now, just for context, so I've got 23,390 photos, 1,549 videos. So I've got a lot of stuff on here at the moment. Uh, Now, because of... All of the photo taking, I do put a really, really high value on being able to take really nice photos. And this Pro has been sensational for taking good photos. There's a recent Twitter thread from when we were in the Northern Territory and when we were in Kakadu. And some of the photos we took there were just like so cool out of this world, like Milky Way sort of photos that were really, really epic. I'm increasingly putting really big photos up on the wall. So as we went through doing a bunch of repairs and some upgrades to the house here, I wanted to get some artwork uh, in the bedroom. And in fact, we we looked at like artwork, artwork from an artist. Uh, Weird story. Didn't turn out so well as some of the art we're looking at. But anyway, my mum ended up saying, she's like, why don't you just print out like one of the really nice photos from when you got engaged at Uluru, which some of you may know as Rock, uh, on New Year's Day. I'm like, yeah, yeah, this is a good photo because I've taken some really epic photos. So I end up taking one of the one of the photos, which I've shared publicly before. It's like Charlotte holding her hand out with the ring and then there's Ayers Rock, you know, Uluru, behind it. Uh, and it's all like portrait mode, bokeh out, focus on the hand and the ring and then her looking a little bit um, uh, like gaussian blurred due to the bokeh. 
And we printed this thing like one and a half meters wide or something, like massive. And it's just crystal, crystal, crystal clear. And people walk into the room now and they see it and they're like, whoa, like that's, that's awesome. So I'm going to do more of that. I've got one that I took of, of Elle, uh, my, my nine-year-old daughter, at Darwin as well. And just a really cool sort of silhouette standing on the beach, which will match one that I've got of our son that I took many years ago. And we're going to get them printed up like, you know, basically like life-size uh, and, and on a wall. So the value of these cameras to me is just really, really high. And every time there's a new release, it's like, okay, the, for all intents and purposes, the phone looks identical, but those cameras do get better and better and better every time. Uh, and then, of course, with the 13, there's a whole bunch of other really cool stuff around uh, image processing that comes in that, and particularly around the video side of things. So upgrades there. And then I went the Max. In fact, we both went the Max. And it's been a long time since I've had a Max phone. I think it must have been back around iPhone 8 was the last time I had a Max size phone. And when the 10 launched, I sort of went, well, 10 was when we got rid of the home button. And then you just end up with a little notch. It's like there's actually more screen real estate now in a smaller form factor, so I'll do that. I think what we're finding now is that particularly because... Um, we tend to be doing so much stuff on our phones. Having the extra real estate in the screen, I think is going to be a good thing, uh, particularly for, for things like uh, touching up photos and things right after you take them. I think that's going to be a nice, a nice value add to be a bit larger. Will we find it too big? Don't know. If we do, fix that next year. <laughs> Let's get a smaller one then. So... That's where we're at with iPhones. When I put the order in, like literally an hour ago, it says it's going to be a four to five week wait time. So it's going to, I think it's going to be a while before I can actually talk about what the phone is like. Actually, if I recall, last year, the Max took several weeks longer to come. Now, I didn't buy a Max. I just remember reading in the press. It was like, it's going to be much longer. All right, let me have a look at some of the uh, the comments in here and see if there's any, any other questions. Um, ah. Shibotl, Shibotl. Hi, Troy. I saw you've been sending out some IoT things. Have you used Apple Home? What do you think of it? Uh, so I, I do use HomeKit. So I have HomeKit, which effectively runs off the Apple TV uh, as a way of using my Apple things to orchestrate stuff using, for example, Siri. So picking up my watch and saying, hey, what's her name? I can't repeat. Otherwise, she starts listening. Please open the garage door or something like that. Pretty cool. Uh, I, I, I just think the integration is, is a nightmare in terms of all the different products and things that won't work with HomeKit, but that's the whole very proposition of having Home Assistant. And then Home Assistant has an integration. Is it the Home Bridge or I'm thinking something else? Anyway, it's got an integration that can take all the different entities and things that you've got in HomeKit and expose them through the Apple ecosystem. So it means that I can create things like scenes in Home Assistant make sure I get all my words right. I can create scenes in Home Assistant that talk to all these devices that HomeKit would never talk to, but then it exposes them via Home Assistant into HomeKit. So a good example is when we watch a movie, I've got a scene called Movie Time, and it just changes the lighting in, in the movie room, and it turns off some lighting outside there, which would otherwise get a little bit of light back into, the, into that room, and it makes some lights blue and stuff like that. And I can just literally pick up my watch and go, you know, Hey Siri, turn on movie time. And it, I just said that in like the okay, call. Oh shit. Oh no, she did it anyway. Charlotte's downstairs watching TV. Sorry. 
But all right, that gave you a really good example where I can just ask Siri and it happens. Oh, good ears. Good ears on Siri. So, all right, what else we got in here? Um, Burton says, which color did you purchase? I'll show him on the iPhone. It's black. <laughs> just, I like that kind of blue that, that came out, but I just, I'm just always in black. So I, th- I think black is, black is fine. I'm sticking with black. Uh, what else is on here? Someone's locked out of their YouTube. Sorry, can't do anything about that. Speak to Google. Uh, Lars is there. G'day, Lars. Are we talking about Windows Phone? Uh, Lars was a big Windows Phone fan. Not anymore. He's he's moved on from there. Um, Burton says, one terabyte storage on the Pro Max. I did not get the one terabyte. And the reason why is when I looked at my storage at the moment, I'm using about 340 gig or something, which might sound like a lot. And, and like, okay, it is a lot on a device you put in your pocket. But I'm using all that because I sync all of the fi- all, all of the photos and videos and everything from iCloud onto my phone. I also do the same thing on my iPad, just so they're always with me and I can always pull them up and I can always see them, which was a lot of that logic was when I'm on a plane, which I don't do so much anymore. And I don't have connectivity if I want to either look at photos or edit photos or show photos to people. Everything was always there. Uh, I, I think there's a little bit of me which is, I feel nice having a backup which is not cloud dependent as well. I I fear like a let's say a total iCloud ponage and then I lose all of my photos and things. So anyway, so half a terabyte is enough for now. And again, we rotate these phones usually most years. So um, so that that should be that should be fine for at least another year. And then you know maybe maybe then go more. The one terabyte one was quite a bit more expensive as well. Okay, Borgie's asking, what's your first smartphone? My first smartphone was, uh, it was um, a, uh, oh, I can't remember the name now. I can picture it so clearly. It was one of the ones that ran Windows Mobile 6, I think it was at the time, and it had a stylus, and it was well before iPhone, and then when iPhone first came along in Australia... We didn't get version one, so I kind of held off. I don't think I got an iPhone until about version three. And then ever since iPhone three, it's, it's just been iPhones top to bottom. And now I'm too committed to the ecosystem to change. And, and I, I still think the Apple devices are, are the nicest from what I've seen. Lars is going to argue with me now. <laughs> it's not Windows Phone, mate. But anyway, yeah, so iPhone three onwards. And I've, I've had, I'd say most models, I've skipped some. But again, particularly when when you can pay for them with pre-tax dollars. It does make them a little bit more attractive. Uh, Stephen says, have you seen Home Assistant Amber news? Yes, I have. So Home Assistant Amber is Home Assistant on a Raspberry Pi, which, yes, my Home Assistant's already on a Raspberry Pi, but it just basically pre-bundles the whole thing and wraps it all up in a device which is designed specifically to run Home Assistant. So I think it's a really good idea that you're going to be able to get this where it's like a turnkey solution. The, the only thing I wonder is that Home Assistant is really still a product for people that are happy getting their hands dirty and getting down and messy and devices and YAML and all the rest of it. And I'm not sure that that necessarily significantly changes the barrier to entry because the people that are able to do all of the things that you need to do with Home Assistant are usually able to run a Raspberry Pi. That said, if I didn't have Home Assistant already and I was going to go out and get it, and there was like an official release on official hardware and you could just go and get it and get that head start, well, yeah, I would do that. So 
We'll uh, we'll see. I I said early on with Home Assistant that I'd love to I'd love to see someone like Apple buy it and make it consumer friendly. Now, to be honest, I think having learned a lot more about it, I think they'd probably just kill the product because it'd become like a, just an Apple kludge of uh, Apple way or the highway. But the premise of it still being a very very maker device where people need to get really sort of down and dirty and messy in in uh, all sorts of configuration is is still it still rules out like 99 percent of your potential demographic we'll see what starts to sort of fill those gaps okay other comments um that's just lars ignore that Sorry, man. I keep meaning to give you a call too, just to just to say good day. I'll do that. See so here going down in Victoria. Burton says black color heats up more quickly on the Gold Coast. Um, the, the the thing about the phones is that no matter what color you buy, the screen is black, <laughs> and if you leave it with the screen facing up, it heats up. I posted a, a photo on Twitter probably about a week ago saying oh, it looks like it's it's summertime here because Charlotte had left both her her iPhone and her iPad in the sun and. And like not even turned on her, well, you know, she wasn't using it. She just literally left them on the chair. Sun came out and both of them had overheated and they wouldn't start. But if you've got your phone and it's facing up, it's, it's you know, that screen's going to absorb it anyway. Uh, if it's in a cover and it was like a white cover, well, okay, that would be, that would obviously reflect a lot more light and a lot more heat. But that, no, that's not what normally tends to worry me. It doesn't tend to get too hot with me using it in the sun, primarily because I will get too hot <laughs> before the phone gets too hot. It's more an issue of like, I'm in the pool. Actually, this is one of the things that, that, that they did change on, on iPhone 13. Uh, apparently a lot more brightness in bright light, which is, is a first world problem, but it's a serious thing here. It gets so freaking bright here. And, and for those of you that have not been to Australia, there is something about the sun here that is just different to anything I've felt anywhere else in the world, including places like Death Valley, which which we were at in the middle of summer. And it was extremely hot. But there's just something about the brightness of the light, probably all that hole in the ozone kind of stuff here, that is just super, super glaring. So a little bit more light on the phone, I think, would be a good thing. Uh Mitch says amazing photos from those devices. Uh, I'll absolutely second that. I'm I'm still stunned by those photos. And what, what's really interesting is when people come and see artwork uh, on the wall, artwork photos on the wall, and they're like, "Did you take that on an iPhone? That's crazy!" And the, I've got one of our son from oh, must be four or five years ago, which is just a silhouette of him walking along the beach with a stick. He's got a peaked cap on. Uh, in the background, there are paddle boarders and things standing up in the waves. It's all black and white. And the sun's right just out of frame at the top. You can just see the rays coming down. And it just looks epic. And it was taken with a, an iPhone of many, many years ago and then printed on canvas so you can have a few imperfections. It's not like a, 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 a bright color print on a photographic quality paper, which is what we did in our bedroom with the one where we got engaged. And it's just insane how good the quality is. So yeah, I'm, I'm just amazed at how nice those uh, those photos are now. Shabottle says, I'm too committed to the Apple ecosystem. Do you have any recommendations for smart lighting that's privacy friendly? I, I think that the first simple thing is that if you wanted to be privacy friendly, you'd want to have something that wasn't cloud dependent. So a lot of the two-year lights I have are cloud dependent, which is part of the problem i've got to check in actually so two year is meant to be working on a local control integration for home assistant which would be nice i would go for something that would be self-contained within the network the first thing that comes to mind is anything that's zigbee based 
So if you can use a Zigbee-based device that's controlled from a Zigbee-enabled hub, such as Home Assistant running a Conbeat, which I know Lars runs those as well, they're very good. Something like Philips Hue, for example, uh, can run entirely locally. Now, I'm not sure if their app phones home and sends any data or anything like that. Uh, that's, that's something that you could check. But certainly the Philips Hues that I have that appear directly to my home assistant and then integrated via decons are definitely going to be privacy friendly in that they're not going to be having any external dependency on cloud to run. So plus there's a whole bunch of other reasons why you probably want to go Zigbee rather than Wi-Fi based. Patrick says, what messaging service do you primarily use and why? Signal, iMessage, Facebook Messenger. Yes. <laughs> so... Uh, it depends on how people contact me. So every single one of those, as well as WhatsApp, as well as key-based messenger, as well as Telegram. Um, I, I will say some of the ones that are a lot more privacy-focused can be a bit of a pain in the ass. It's easy for me to miss a signal message. Have I missed any signal messages? I had someone contact me on signal a couple of days ago, uh, and the only reason I saw it is it literally popped up, but I don't... And maybe this is something I can enable, I don't know. But I don't get like uh, email notifications, for example, if a signal message comes through. Facebook Messenger, if I don't read a message, I'll get an email a few hours later saying, hey, you've got a Facebook message there. So look, it's it's a combination. And I usually just go, if, if you want to talk to me, yeah, just whatever works for you. Um, it's nice to have choice, but there's also stuff everywhere. Lars wants me to call him on his Windows phone. <laughs> I'm going to do that. Uh, Stephen reckons if Google bought Home Assistant, what would it be like? Promises of never integrating, ruining, and then four years later doing it. Yep, yep, that would probably be right. That's probably what's going to happen. I, look, I don't think, I just think the nature of, of the project and the fact that it's one of the world's most active open source projects is it's very unlikely, I think, to see it handed over to a, to a big corp. Uh, I would like to see instead just, just more more refinement which is happening gradually uh matt says phoenix i assume you're in phoenix uh, in the u.s there are many times i forget i'm wearing sunglasses because it's so bright i tell you what i know straight away if i go out and i'm not wearing sunglasses because i just can't see anything and particularly uh particularly when you're on the water as well so living on the water here and then being on the water a lot it, it's just it's just even worse because you get all the reflections back of course Steven's still got an old HTC Touch Diamond 2 with Windows Phone 6.5. I hope that's just like in a drawer somewhere. I only reason I stopped using it was lack of apps back in 2012. There you go. Uh, what else? Future's so bright, got to wear shades. Yeah, that's pretty much right. Um, now, Robin. G'day, Robin. Says there are new Shelly devices just released too. I did see something about a, a Shelly One Plus or something. I, I've got to go and check. I'm a little bit out of date with that. I have new Shellys going in at the moment, actually. When I say at the moment, it'll probably be next week. So I'm still replacing crappy old lights and lights that were halogen-based and were hot and would burn out. Uh, and I'm just waiting for several new Shelly dimmers to go in downstairs. So I think that will happen next week, which would be nice. Uh, moving on, Epic. Let's talk about Epic. <laughs> I didn't really know a lot about Epic until this week. Now let me just uh, let me just share the tweet that came through. So Epic, Epic is a hosting company. Let's actually open up the web page. What does Epic say? 
How do they describe themselves? Uh, are they... I don't think they're epic. Are they epic.com? They're probably not epic.go.kr. Epic.gg. That's not that one. See, this is the problem. When you go and choose... And this is epic with a K. It's E-P-I-K. Industry. Web services. It is epic.com. E-P-I-K.com. Actually, well, you know, we'll read the Wikipedia description. Epic is an American domain registrar and web hosting company known for providing services to websites that host far-right, neo-Nazi and other extremist content. So far, not off to a great start. It has been described as a haven for the far-right because of its willingness to provide services to far-right websites that have been denied services by other internet service providers. I wonder why. Some of Epic's notable clients have included social network Gab, who, of course, is now completely self-hosting because everyone else has booted them off. I'm not sure that Epic booted them off. And the image board website 8chan. In 2021, the Parler social network moved its domain registration to Epic when it was denied hosting other web services. Now, when we go to Epic, and I did briefly look at the website yesterday, but without looking at it first, I can bet that when we go to Epic, it's not going to be like, we welcome the far right and the neo-Nazis to our service. It will be very much freedom of speech YOLO. Let's have a look. Digital empowerment. Claim your domain name, proper domain names. Uh-huh. It is the right time to make the move to Epic. It's, it's, it's really not. <laughs> like It never was, but particularly like the week of the data breach is really not. Empowering you and your organization with a digital presence that is fast, secure, and affordable at any scale. Best domain names. Uh, there's nothing on the front page about the data reach. And they have commented on it. And I know because I'm going to read the comment in their disclosure. What are solutions? Hosting, web hosting. Do they have anything here about freedom of speech? Because that's always, always the argument for the, uh, for the Nazi-loving services. It's like people should be able to say whatever they want. Except for certain things we won't let you say, and there are limits. Every one of these platforms has limits. Uh, and try and think about really recalcitrant or, or illegal things, certainly illegal in some parts of the world, and you'll find that your free-ch, free-ch speech will be limited very quickly. Anyway, let's move on to their disclosure notice. So someone tweeted this to me the other day. Uh, and just to be clear, the news headlines, I've still got it here. Let's actually do the news headline first. I'm just flicking between devices with different things open in different places. But my iPad has the news headline here. There's a piece on uh, on Gizmodo. Anonymous. We know they're anonymous because they told us they're anonymous. <laughs> anonymous claims to have stolen huge trove of data from Epic, the right wing's favorite web host, the controversial domain registrar, which is best known for hosting Nazis and other unfortunate groups, apparently just had all its data boosted. And then it goes on and on and on. Now, there are... Some number of hundreds of gigabytes worth of data. And yes, I do have various versions of the data, which I've been looking through. I'll talk about that in a moment. But it's Epic's uh, <laughs> disclosure notice, which is just particularly funny. So someone's tweeted this. Uh, important update from Epic.com. At Epic, we take the security and privacy of information very seriously. You know this is going to be bad, don't you? As soon as it starts like that. Therefore, as a precautionary measure, I'm writing to inform you of an alleged Security incident involving Epic. I know they've got to hedge their bets, you know, with the alleged bit, but when you have the data and it has your internal keys, and when I, when I say keys, I don't necessarily mean like cryptographic keys, but like internal identifiers, 
it doesn't take very long to go from alleged to verified. Our internal team working with external experts have been working diligently to address the situation. We are taking proactive steps to resolve the issue. We will update you on our progress. In the meantime, please let us know if you detect any unusual activity. I am proud of our team's effort as we do our part to empower a thriving internet for the benefit of our customers around the world. That's not the best bit. Here's the best bit, and this is literally highlighted in this tweet. You are in our prayers today. We are grateful for your support and prayer. When situations arrive where individuals might not have honorable intentions, I pray for them. I believe that what the enemy intends for evil, God invariably transforms into good. Says the Nazi hosting service. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I quote tweeted this and said, uh, what did I say to this? Probably should have prayed themselves some better security earlier on, which seems reasonable under the circumstances. But it, it is, and, and I know that this is a very American alt-right kind of thing, but it feels profoundly strange to read about a service that has just been hacked and that somehow addressing this through prayer. <laughs> I, just, I, don't, I just don't know how much further to go with that. Um, I, I quote tweeted something else, actually, which I thought was very interesting, which was someone sort of going through and, and pulling the threads on the epic data and what's particularly interesting here is that obviously Epic went to some lengths to prov to provide anonymity for the people who are registering on the service. Now, look, that might be partly because uh, Whois is just a, a public spam resource. Might also be partly because obviously there are a bunch of people doing things on Epic or hosting services on Epic they don't want associated back to them. A lot of people that lean on that neo-Nazi side of things that don't really want to be identified because they know it's not very socially acceptable. There is a, a Twitter account called Epic Fails, Epic Fails Snippet, or is it Epic Fails Nippet? Anyway, the title of the account is Epic Fail Data Leaks, and it basically goes through and explains how, when you look at the data, you've got anonymized records with identifiers, which then, due to the nature of the data that was disclosed, you can then match back to actual identities. And within this thread, there is some matching of services to the actual individuals that stood them up. I sort of had a, a, a momentary flashback to Ashley Madison, where you could go through, you being, not me, hypothetically other people who might have used Ashley Madison could go through and pay for this full delete service where you could delete your data. I mean, that was shitty for all sorts of reasons, but you'd pay like 18 bucks or something and they would delete your data. Uh, and what they're doing was like nulling out columns within the membership record, but then still having a, a credit card transaction in there with identifiable data, which would map back to the membership record. So this whole principle of anonymization often falls apart when the underlying data is exposed. And I think there's probably a more interesting, broader question here about if you're going to try and anonymize data, how do you do it such that if everything is disclosed, anonymity is preserved and it's it's not that i want to help this sort of customer be more anonymous i just think it's a really interesting observation <sighs> let me have a, have a look at some of the comments in here uh i'm going to come back to the shelly stuff after this i'm going to go and have a look at it um 
Lots of comments about it being a very big privacy issue. Shabottle says, pray the pwn away. <laughs> I think that's... <laughs> Stephen, does praying ever help with security? It's... Um... You don't normally see it feature in like the security training or anything like that. I'll just I'll say that much. Uh, uh, it it is as Matt says here. It it is cringeworthy. It is very very cringeworthy. So anyway, that's uh, yeah, that's epic. So I do have the data now. I'm in the data, not because I am a Nazi sympathizer, but because. It looks like there is a lot of data around who is records here. Now, I'm just going over to my laptop because I ran out of space on my PC to process this and I had to roll the whole thing to laptop. Uh, when I pass this, in the data that I've been sent, and I've, I have been sent a couple of different versions of data. One is a bunch of SQL backups. So just for, I know some people listening to this do go and obtain this stuff themselves as well. So the two versions of data that I have, or is it Epic? One is, that's interesting, a whole bunch of data, which I think was taken from the website. And the other is a whole bunch of data, which is uh, from what I believe is a MySQL database. Now, in these two sets of data I've got, some of this is still downloading, one of the other sets I've parsed, and I found just over 15 million records. It's like 15 million, well, uh, unique email addresses. 15,003,961 unique email addresses, of which mine was one of them. So, of course, I was curious, why am I in a right-wing Nazi sympathizer data breach? And the reason why is because it looks like they have stored a whole bunch of data from who is records here. Now, there is one domain here for which I am or I was, I'm not anymore, but I was the who is uh, contact for, I was the contact on the who is records, and it's got my email address in there. There are many, many others here as well, and they're for all sorts of different domains. And in fact, in a, a bunch of cases here, it looks like, I'm just looking at the JSON, they don't even list the domain, but they have email addresses. And then, of course, within these email addresses, of the 15-odd million, a bunch of them are privacy email addresses. So, for example, there is one here which is a great big string of characters at privacyguardian.org. Uh, there's another one, string of characters at domainprivacyshield.com. So when we see this headline which says there's been 15 million email addresses in there, and the, when I say this headline, the headline that I just gave you, a bunch of those are not going to be people with accounts on the service. Now, that does create a conundrum because what am I going to do with this data? Am I going to load 15 million email addresses? Well, there's going to be a bunch in there that don't belong to people because they're effectively privacy shield addresses. There's also going to be a bunch which are real email addresses like mine, but they're on Whois records. Now, if they've just gone and pulled data from Whois records, stored them locally, and then had that breach. Does that constitute data that should be in Have I Been Pwned? I think I'm going to ask the question. I'm going to put that out on, on Twitter, maybe do a little poll or something. But Usually when I ask and I say to people, look, if, if your email address is somewhere within the data that was leaked on a service, let's say your email address was in a comment that was left, uh, might have even been in like a DM between people on a bulletin board system. If your email address was in there, but you didn't have an account on the service or anything like that, do you actually want to know that it was there? Now, usually it is an overwhelmingly strong yes. And when I say overwhelmingly strong, the, the number that comes to mind is about 80% of people saying, yes, I want to know. 
Now, the problem is that there's just not context. So I can do that, but people like me will get an email saying, hey, you're in the Epic data breach. And I'll say, well, what was in there? You know, why am I on this Nazi sympathizer website? I, I, I don't know. So I just know that if I load this, I'm just going to get so many questions like this. And inevitably what's going to happen is a bunch of people that get the notification from Have I Been Pwned, because I've just about to tick over the full million subscriber mark here, they're then going to turn around and go back to Epic and say, hey, Have I Been Pwned said you have my data. What the hell's going on? And then that puts some pressure on me. It's <laughs> made a bit of an awkward spot. So I've got to figure out what to do with this. I'm still, as I said, downloading the entire data set. I think this might be like a, it's going to say early next week thing. I'm going to go away for a bit early next week. So maybe this will be a tomorrow thing. We'll see. We'll see. I've got to figure out. But I do have the data, multiple versions of the data, and I'm just figuring out what to do with it. Uh, Burton said, would you be loading this as sensitive? <sighs> I have been wondering that. Um, I I think it, it's a relevant question in so far as your concern would be what if what if people perceive this as those who are in the breach being sympathetic to Nazis and let's say it's my data right if it's my data and someone says, hey, this is Troy and he's a Nazi sympathizer and they draw that conclusion, that looks really bad. So should I not make it publicly searchable? But then again, I almost feel like some of the news coverage and probably myself as well as being a little bit disingenuous to Epic because for the most part, they do seem to be a registrar who provides all sorts of services to all sorts of different individuals and companies. And there is a slice, which I suspect in fairness is very, very small. And we could tell by looking at the data, there is a slice, which is this recalcitrant form of, of communication. So I've got to figure out how to deal with that. I'm just not quite sure. Um, I think once I look at the data and understand it more, I'll be able to make a call on that. I might just have to very, very clearly caveat both in the description of the breach and then when I communicate publicly that, look, this data includes things like who is data. My email address is in there. I, I don't I don't sympathize with the people that they sympathize with, but that's where the data comes from. So, yeah, good question, mate. I'm, I'm not entirely sure yet. Stefan's here. G'day, Stefan. Uh, as in not sure I'd need to know that my email address is in there if it doesn't help me in any way. It brings up the noise ratio. Yeah, and, and this is the counter-argument, right? So obviously this is saying, do, do I really want to know that my email address is in there if I can't actually do something about it? Um, that's that's the counter-argument. Uh, there's a bit of me which is kind of like, if let's let's say it's me without knowing the context of my email address, without knowing that it's in there just because I'm on a Who Is record. This company has my data. Now, whether they scrapped it off who is or whether I provide it to them as part of a registration process, I don't really think matters too much insofar as if they have that and then they lose it. They haven't lost it, actually. They've still got it. There's just a lot of backups of it out there. If there's a lot of backups later on, I still feel that I should be able to go to them and say, look, you've got my data. You've stored it somehow. I'd like to know how and why. And also, I'd, I might like you to remove it as well. I don't care whether you're in Europe and you've got GDPR or somewhere else. Everyone should have the right to remove their data. So it does put a lot of pressure back on them. All right, let me uh, let me go on to something else. Last thing, book. 
So the book, the much fabled book, which I have been writing, is very near to completion. So I I was struggling a little bit with, with the ending in terms of what do I write at the end. And I wanted to write, uh, and I won't say what they are, but I wanted to write a couple of additional blog posts that only go into the book. Now, I've written one of them. It's it's a personal one. Uh, it's not it's not one I'm going to write on a public blog post, but that one, certainly first draft of that, is there in the book. I was going to do another one, which I've decided I don't think I want to do for various reasons, and I need to put a little bit of a closing on it, and I'm just going back through and reading the whole thing now. So basically, the first draft is, is pretty much done. We we met with Rob. So Rob Connery is, let's call him producer. <laughs> Rob Connery is producing the book. And what we're going to do is is plan to get that book out for the holiday season, uh, which kicks off really at the start of December, uh, simply because that's a time where a lot more people want to sit around reading books and doing things like that. So it makes sense to try and get it ready by then. So we're now working to a, a pretty set schedule. Uh, and I, I hope that we'll be able to start releasing bits and pieces. So we, we do want to sort of feed some stuff out in advance. Now, if you've not already signed up to get notifications about the book, if you go to book.troyhunt.com, you can get notified as we progress. And I think we're going to need to update some imagery and stuff here. With uh, yeah, we, we do actually have a have a cover now, which you'll you'll see in time. We have a title. I've got to make the cover look nice with the title, either me or Rob or someone else. But yeah, we, we're actually getting really really close, which is good. And I, I think particularly the fact that we're going to start doing all this electronically, we, we can we can make it a first cut and we can do revisions. We do intend to put it in paper as well. Um, so this is apparently Rob knows how to get this done. I, I've got no idea. I've never written a book before, certainly never printed a book before. But it's getting there. It has made progress. Um, Lars, I'm going to talk to you about that <laughs> too when I call you. That was one of the things I wanted to talk about. All right, let's look at the comments here. Did you find artwork for the front cover? Yes. <laughs> just, just, um, it's, uh, it's a photo. I'll say that. It's, it's, it's a much younger photo of me, but it, it just sort of starts to tie the book together, which is good. Um, Patrick says, why are email addresses public and searchable and have I been put in the first place? Verifying that you control the email address, it is a six-digit pin, should be simple. It's not simple. It's not simple for many, many reasons, and it also kills a bunch of really good legitimate use cases. If you would like to read more, there's a dedicated blog post. So if you search for Troy Hunt Ethics of Data Breach Notification Service, there is an entire blog post written to answer that. Uh, not simple, expensive, breaks a whole bunch of things, uh, does much more harm than good. Stefan says, I'm going to need an autographed copy of that, and it better have a Scott Helm sticker in it. Haven't I given you Scott Helm stickers already? I'm sure I have. Anyway, no, this is one of the nice things about actually printing a version as well. There will be something that I can physically give to people. There's, there's something about physically giving people something which, uh, which we just can't replicate in the digital world. The friend that came and visited yesterday is, is someone from the technology community, uh, from a company that I do some work with, and I gave them Have I Been Pwned stickers, like the stickers and also the 3D printed ones, and it was so cool just to be able to go, hey, here is an actual thing. Uh, Stephen says, hope you call it Turn This Breach Around. <laughs> I'm not calling it that, but that's a good name. Minjay Forever, any comment on Aussie government turning the country into a Five Eyes playground for mass surveillance? 
Yeah, that's a bullshit description. <laughs> that's my comment. So I, I spoke more about this the other day. Uh, I'm not sure if this is actually is this related to COVID or is this related to the deal we've done with the Americans and the and the British for submarines, which are 20 years away apparently. Um, uh, I I don't feel any one. Other, it, it's always interesting, and I'm sure other people in different parts of the world see media from other countries which completely misrepresents the reality on the ground there. But we've been getting this a bit in Australia recently around COVID because we've we've locked down pretty hard in a couple of the southern states that had big Delta outbreaks. Uh, but I, I tell you what, like life here where we are is is almost normal. And the only bit that's not completely normal is having to, to wear a mask when we're indoors uh, and, and not eating. But everything else is is kind of normal and the southern states the the vaccination rates are really starting to get up there we're going to hit um 80 double vaxxed in the state just south of us i think sometime next month by the look of the schedule sometime late october uh, and then we'll really start to open stuff up again so no none of that uh none of that actually concerns me Alrighty, so look, I think we've pretty much covered everything off there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop and then go and start the rest of my day. I'm going to get back on the water again today and spend some more time with some other, other friends from the tech industry, which is a little bit unusual where we are in this part of the world. But nice, uh, nice opportunity. Maybe there'll be some photos or something later. So thank you very much for watching. I'll see you next week again. Next week, I'm going to do this Friday afternoon, my time, first thing in the morning, Europe time with Scott as well. And we'll talk about a whole bunch of stuff there. Please do send through any questions or things you'd like us to chat about in advance or just join in and ask on the, on the live stream. Thanks, folks. See you.